0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Tins, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today we're discussing the first episode of The Green Horizon. Captain's log, years forty
1: one. Orbiting the planet Pintus in the Prometheus solar system is the cargo ship the green horizon. In the cockpit, in the captain's chair sits Gino Whelan, a ruggedly handsome man who doesn't smell of cigarette smoke gone off little Thank you, Vernon. As the human race struggles into another year of conflict, strife and disaster, little does he, nor every person in the universe, know he is the one thing that stands between humanity
0: elite What are you doing? Ah, what the fuck? Who- Created by Paul Walsh, The Green Horizon is a Lovey Awards shortlisted sci-fi audio comedy that focuses on a 'er ne'er-do-well Irish space captain and his ragtag crew as they traverse a war-torn galaxy in search of fame and adventure. A little bit Galaxy Quest and a little bit Firefly, Walsh brings a new perspective to a familiar genre by weaving Irish culture, history, and humor into the story. Part of the Faustian nonsense network, The Green Horizon is nearing the launch of its third season. The first episode, called Does It Have a Penis, Jilly, a reference to the difficulty one crewmate is having identifying the sex of her pet, finds ex-military officer Sonia reluctantly joining the crew of The Green Horizon, while the captain runs afoul of pirates and a human trafficking cartel. I spoke to Paul via Zoom. Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to make The Green Horizon?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, So first, my name is Paul, Paul Walsh, and I'm the writer, creator, director, and begrudging voice actor to uh, The Green Horizon audio drama. But I kind of came into it from a kind of an unusual angle, maybe. I had started writing this book about... Seven or eight years ago, I'd say, at this stage, I spent a long time on it uh I'd say about four or five years on it, and when I got to the end, I didn't like it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just it was one of those things you know like you spend so long on something and then you go you read it and you go, that wasn't that good <laughs> i don't I don't know what I was thinking, but um no <laughs> um. To write the book was set on a planet in the future and all this kind of stuff, and there was no Irish characters in it. But to kind of make the world feel more alive, I kind of built this whole universe around it. So while the story it was a book, so it was a, written in, you know, in narrative form, but while the story itself and the kind of the dialogue was kind of wasn't right and it was all these things but my partner turned around to me and said, um, "This Cueva Wall. She plays Sonya in the show. She turned around to me and she said, you have a really good universe. You should do something about it with that. Leg. And then she kind of, she had brought up doing something with a podcast. She was saying that you could like do a podcast about the universe. And I was saying, I don't think people would tune into that. And then she said, you should do an audio drama. I've been listening to audio dramas. I think you should do it. I think this could definitely be something that you could at least try. And that's kind of where it started. The whole thing about them being Irish was kind of born out of necessity. When we first, when Ysaf and Quiva first started talking about the show, the first thing I said was, where am I going to get all the voice actors? And at this point, I'd never dipped my soul into audio drama. I didn't know about the community. I didn't know how alive it is. I, did, like, I think going back then, if I'd known now what I'd know now, I could have done it. I could have done... right. Something that wasn't about Irish people because there's just so many people out there willing to throw their hat in the ring, willing to take on an indie project, volunteer their voice. But back then, I didn't know anybody, but I had friends and I had family, and I said I could ask this person, I could ask this person, but I'm going to have to get them to do an Irish, uh, an American accent. They're going to have to do this accent, um, and then it was Quivo who said you should just do it as Irish people, Irish <laughs> people in space, and I said that's ridiculous. <laughs> just... <laughs> There can't be be, a sci-fi show about Irish people in space. That's not done. And then she said, you should do it. That's why you should do it. It's not done. It's something that no one has ever done, I suppose. And so why not be the first to do it? And she was right. And I did. And that was three, two years ago, three years ago. I I don't know. I've kind of lost track of time.
0: Well, you know, I was thinking about this because you you build the show as... Irish people in space. And I was trying to think, has there ever been anything like that? And all I could come up with was like Miles O'Brien from Star Trek, The Next Generation, you know? Yeah. And in that, his he has sort of an Irish cultural history, but it's not like, I don't think he identifies as, I guess he does, Irish, but there's like, I don't know if Ireland exists in the Star Trek universe or, or anything like that. But- in your world there is a very clear like we are all irish people actually i think they actually say that in the first episode which made me kind of wonder well how did ireland evolve in the timeline and how did it turn out to be a cultural and national identity in the future and i think that's really interesting does their irish identity is it is it more than cultural is there some sort of political ideology that goes along with that as well
2: um, that's a good question. I it was one of the first things I kind of thought about. Or I I considered when I first started the show how heavily did I want to lean into the whole over oh, Irish um, and you know like the English jokes, all oh, the English blah blah. I how, how like deeply did I want to go into that? Um, and I think I wanted to kind of keep that at kind of surface level, like as jokes, you know, like just sort of like, ah, oh, English people, ah, oh, we hate the English, blah, 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 kind of just like a jokey way. I didn't want to go deep into that kind of stuff. Right. And I think in this universe, there's, it's not delved into much in the first season about like what the history is with Ireland and stuff, but we kind of, I kind of delve into it a bit more going forward and I kind of I do plan on going into it more in the future seasons that basically it, it kind of follows. I I got the inspiration kind of from Star Trek where their whole kind of like catalyst for them being, you know, this advanced human- humanity becoming an advanced spacefaring race is they suffered nuclear apocalypse. And I kind of went the same route. But instead of them coming out of it and being better, they came out of it and were worse. Mm. And that's what this whole universe thing is about. So Ireland, before that happened, would have been kind of like following the same timeline as we're on now. And then after it happened, kind of most of the world was kind of brought under the one banner. So there is this national identity. But um, I actually do have a character, I won't say who it is just for spoilers, a character in season three who does sort of talk about, you know, he's like, he's Irish, he's speaking about Gino, he's like, he's Irish, but we're not Irish. And mm. then he's challenged, you know, and he said, but you are Irish, do you know what I mean? But this person doesn't want to be Irish, he wants to be a part of the main government of Earth.
0: I did, I think, pick up on some little things in the first episode, even, um, that sort of spoke to the history of Ireland and the relationship that it's had with the rest of the world, specifically with England. There's two superpowers, one which is this sort of very autocratic people of the order, and then there's the the enemy of them, of course, is the All-Nation Alliance, which is democracy, Immediately knowing what I know of Irish history, I was kind of thinking, hmm, that's, I wonder if he's setting something up there. And then later on, we discovered that in in the bar, they're talking about how the Irish must keep their religious beliefs secret. They can't talk about them aloud. Were you laying down some seeds of, you know, historical conflict that's sort of mixing in with the rest of the story here?
2: Yeah, um I kind of I based the order off a number of different things. Obviously there's a lot of fascism in it, the um the inquisitors. When I think of them, I can I can I I think of like, you know, the SS going around in their jackboots and their black coats, you know what I mean? Like but um a lot of it especially kind of like maybe some more societal things I've actually kind of drawn from the kind of late stage Soviet Union, maybe and kind of modern day CCP with the whole anti-religion thing cuz you know, when I was trying to like devise this autocratic organization i'd be like i was thinking you know what don't they want and the thing was they don't want people to believe in something that's higher than they are
0: you also talk about racism against irish people in the first episode a couple of people use slurs again it sounds to me like you're sort of still weaving in some of that political discourse in with your story you know is racism something that you wanted to talk about
2: yeah, absolutely. I absolutely want to talk about that. I also wanted to kind of talk about it not so much in just race and, and like Earth nationalities, but bring it into like a what would racism look like in the 23rd century when all these planets have been colonized? Do you know what I mean? Like what would our concept of race be? What would our concept of xenophobia be? And like, for instance, the planet that the crew are mainly orbiting and the, the solar system that they're mainly mainly orbiting in the first season and the second season, um, the Prometheus system, and the, especially the planet of Ibrax, that's seen as a kind of lower class planet where mm-hmm. the people there are poor and they're struggling and, they're, and their nationalities kind of reflect on that because another concept I kind of had, and one of the reasons why there seems to be so many Irish people in one area is these planets were kind of... Countries from Earth were given planets according to Uh, how the government wanted to colonize Right. So places like Iceland and Ireland and and sort of the um, eastern states would have been given places like Hybrax to colonize and Westralia and Genusi and all these other planets. Whereas the more affluent and wealthier countries would have been given uh, a planet called Hera Prime. Hmm.
0: Race and class coming together here in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get too far afield, you said you wrote a novel. Do you have a a background in the arts? Are you a writer?
2: No, (laughs) Um, not at all. The novel was the first piece of creative fiction I'd ever attempted after I left secondary school. I went to college. I studied in there for three years. It was an exercise and health degree, but I dropped out because I just didn't. I didn't like it by the end. And then I I spent a while kind of slumming around, living in friends' houses and stuff like that on the on the dole. And that's where I started the novel. I just had too much time in my hands, so I said I'd I'd do something with it. And then I went into childcare. That's my profession. So I have no creative writing background or anything like that, or sound design background, for that matter. Uh,
0: and you do the sound design as well?
2: <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. Oh.
0: uh What inspirations do you have for setting down and writing your novel, which then turned into The Green Horizon?
2: I, I think it was, even though it's not fantasy it's definitely Tolkien and Lord of the Rings that was my first like love when it comes to world building I I, I went to um, the Fellowship of the Ring with my father in 2001 we both went into a blind we'd never like I was 10 I'd never heard of the Lord of the Rings before I went to see it and I was just like I, I came out of it and I just couldn't believe what I'd seen Naturally went to see The Nick Dicks too. He pulled me out of school to go and see the third one, which was great because I was the only kid in the whole school that had seen the third film. So I came in the next day, was spoiling it for everybody, it was brilliant. And then after that, I guess kind of the other inspiration, which is a bit different maybe, is the Fallout video game series. That for me was especially New Vegas. That is my favorite game ever made. It probably will always be my favorite game, Mm -hmm. but I just, I love the Westerns because I used to watch Westerns as well when I was a kid. So The Western, and then the kind of fusion with the futuristic stuff, and the kind of world building and the story was something that really gripped me. So when I wanted to do a novel, I wanted to do something that had a really, really like driving story, something that was fusing kind of the old Western frontier with the modern futuristic sci-fi in space and just kind of blends together.
0: Some of the reviews that I've read for your show, and I got this same vibe, was making comparisons to the show Firefly, Mm. which is kind of a Western in space, right? And you've got this sort of ragtag crew. Uh, Was that an
2: inspiration at all or... It was, but it wasn't as much as people seem to think it was. Yeah. Um, it was definitely there. What was more of an inspiration for me was Galaxy Quest. Have you ever seen oh, Galaxy Quest? I
0: have, yeah. That's
2: a great I, show. Like, yeah. I adore that film, it's, especially the, um, you know, in the Star Trek, anything where the feature of the episode is a problem that the crew have to solve. If you, if you can come like they have come up with a way to solve this thing like say their ship is outmatched the enemy is overpowered so they have to come up with a way to get around it mm-hmm. I've always loved that idea in a show I love the comedy in it the kind of irreverence of it so that was that was a big um, inspiration and Firefly was too especially the the ragged taggedness of, of that ensemble so when I made The Green Horizon that was one thing I kept in my mind I wanted to make sure that you knew the name of every character you didn't have to kind of go what's his name again what's his mm-hmm. name um, their voices, even though you can't see them, they sound completely different to one another.
0: And I agree that there's something really magical about your cast. I was listening to the first episode and uh, you've got some really wonderful uh, dialogue between the characters and everyone does sound a different, little bit different. Everyone does have their own particular style of communication um, and the pacing is really well done.
1: When was the last time I got paid, Gino? What? For, um, for, for Friday, Friday. Today's Friday. Friday. I mean last Friday. You didn't pay me then either. Oh well lads, Bernie, are you off on holidays love?
0: No Jill, I'm leaving. Leaving where Bernie? Leaving here Jill.
1: But I just put the kettle on.
0: I can't have tea Jilly, I'm leaving forever.
1: Oh! Will, will I just wait till you're back then? Oh for fuck's sake. Is this your porter? Oh, Jilly? No, no, she's the navigational officer. And your sister? Yeah, that too. Twin sister. Yep. Yeah. Older by five minutes. You're the chief nav? Last I checked, love. Where did you get your accreditation? Uh, well, I wouldn't say I'm accredited in the traditional sense. In what sense, then, are you? Well, I went to the induction day, but it wasn't for me. Sure, it's easy, like, go here, go there. Oh, mind, there's an asteroid over there, black hole over there.
0: Jill is very good. Not only is it fun to listen to, but it also helps us establish relationships pretty quickly in the mind's eye. It's hard not to know that Jill is Jill when Jill speaks, you know? Yeah. Uh, and same thing for the other characters, too. Did you spend a lot of time casting and working with your actors?
2: It's another kind of like funny story now, thinking back to it. But at the time, it's kind of a bit of a miracle that season one got done. Um <laughs> And a lot of that I owe to my cast. They're phenomenal. And like I said at the start of this, they're all my friends and family for the most part. None of them are professional voice actors. Mm -hmm. Kieran, who plays Gino, is one of my best friends. Quiva who plays Sonia, is my partner. I play Peter, uh, but I cheat a little bit with Peter because I do his voice and then I I tone down the pitch. Jilly's played by Amy Jackman, who's a longtime friend of mine and actually... Barnard is played by Stephen Stubbs who ran the recording studio that we recorded the first season in and the reason that he got the character of Bernard was because he was there. And we <laughs> said, would you like to do Bernard? <laughs> because you're recording us. And we need another voice actor because we have nobody. And then at the time, Megan, who was my niece, she played Red Becca Roy, but she couldn't continue because of college. So actually in season two, we got a new um, voice actress to play Red Becca, whose name is um, Amy Rothwell, who's another friend of mine um, who absolutely did a, a bang up job. Um, but for season one, it was literally who can we get? Who do we know? <laughs> who does this character might sound like? That character kind of sounds like Amy. Let's ask Amy. Um, my niece has a kind of voice that sounds a bit young. I'm just going to ask her. And then Quiva said, I'll just do a character for it's grand. And then I actually had somebody else to do Peter, but he ended up getting a job in Thailand. So he had to leave halfway through recording. So I had to go in oh, by wow. my, by myself to record, to do Peter. I didn't, I never intended to be Peter. But, um, <laughs>
0: and then you had to brush up on your Canadian accent.
2: Oh yeah, that was just learn learn as you go. Oh, is everyone in here? Sweet. Jilly, do you want to see that other painting I've done?
1: Sorry, but, like, do you work here now? Uh, Like, I'm the captain, and I feel like I should have some say in this.
2: Oh, well, I just thought since Mortlock dropped me off on your ship.
1: Yeah, that you could just stay here, sorry. But we're a pretty close-knit group here. Do you know? I literally met you six hours ago. And I hate you. (laughs) Yeah, but we're all Irish. Now who's racist? You know what I mean? Yanks are shy crack, like.
2: Actually, I'm Canadian. Uh, same thing, you know. I'm sorry you feel that way. It's like how you and the English are all the same. I knew nothing going into it. All I knew was just try and put on a deep voice and try and sound a bit silly. And all the magic came in post-production with Peter because when I got all the lines for Peter, I was like, he does. This guy does not sound like a big six foot four guy who's ex-army, who's like a tough guy who can like you know. Kill a whole army by himself, and then I was like, just change the pitch on him now, and he'll sound oh, nice and tough. Because uh, my voice is naturally a bit high, but um, for for like rehearsing, we did one table read. It was went really well; everyone did really well, and then we were all like, "Yes, this is this is going to be easy." And then we went in, and I learned a lot of lessons from that season because I never intended to do the sound design for it. Hmm. Kieran was meant to do it, um, but like Kieran also works and has a family and like, this is my baby. So either I do the sound design or the show doesn't get made. And miraculously I was able to do it. I don't know how I managed to do it, but I did. And everyone did a really, really good job. And everyone was so facilitative to me because I think I sta- I spent the first recording session in the fetal position because <laughs> I just, I didn't know how to direct. I didn't know how to give direction. I was just like, please lads, you're going to have to do this for me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in over my head and I'm out of my depth. But I got done.
0: Well, at the risk of causing you to face trauma again. Tell me, what were you attempting to accomplish in this first episode and how do you think you did?
2: I'll be honest with you, the first episode wasn't meant to be the way it is. I originally wrote it and I finished it when Gino says I'm going to the pub. That was meant to be it. After, Mm. After they foiled Mortlock and his evil schemes, the episode was meant to end. Peter also wasn't meant to be a character in the show. Um, there was only meant to be four. But after I wrote this weird security guy talking about art, I was kind of, he'd be kind of funny to keep around. So I just sort of like tentatively kept this character around and it ended up being Peter. I took out the script and I read it and I showed it to Quiva and Quiva said, that's good, but it's not long enough. You're going to have to add an extra bit to it. So I did. Mm. And then I was like, sure, we'll just do the part where he goes to the bar and there's the big gunfight. And then I wrote the character of Red Becca. And again, she was like, Peter, she wasn't meant to be a character. She was just meant to show up and kind of be the catalyst for the gunfight. I was just writing it and then th- that character came in and I said, you know, six is a, is a nice even number. But not I just add this character to the bunch. And that ended up being Red Becca. But to go back to like, what was the point of the show was to set it up, really. I was trying to give the audience as much exposition as I can without overdoing it. And just trying to kind of keep a story there and kind of show that they're, the characters were kind of not criminals, but they weren't really on the good side of the law.
0: I think you do a pretty good job of that, honestly, because there's not a lot of info dump, which is always something you ought to watch out for. Mm. You drop some hints like, OK, so we, we know that there's two rival powers and we know that the order is the bad guys. You know, you introduce the topic of human trafficking, um, which mm. comes up several times in the in the first episode. You also introduce, as we've talked about, some of the Irish cultural things and some of the racism and the classism and that sort of thing that I think we're getting hints of something deeper that's coming at the same time, by the way, you've really got some very funny dialogue here. You've got lots of great banter back and forth, which which kind of made me want to ask. I mean, did you think of this as an Irish humor show, or that this not only this is it about Irish people, but you were writing it in a sort of Irish style?
2: When I first made the show, I made it for people from my county, which is Waterford. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the show's gotten bigger and expanded, and I, I'd have I have way more American listeners than I do. Um, Irish listeners so I do take that into account in the later seasons to try and keep, make, make some of the comedy more universal. But definitely in the first season, I wanted to do a lot of jokes that revolved around being Irish, um, living in the country, just, you know, going about your daily life. A lot of the jokes are jokes I would have kind of said myself over the years and kind of <laughs> kept that in the back of my head and going, that's kind of funny. And as Quiva would point out, sometimes I just tend to kind of steal her jokes. <laughs> um, uh, some jokes are, are things that have actually happened to me. Oh, really? Um, yeah, uh, some things later on in the show that you'll hear particular stories about people are things that have <laughs> actually happened that I have stolen because I'm a plagiarist. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that um, the first season was definitely kind of a love letter to Waterford, um, to Ireland, but mainly to Waterford. Uh, Waterford is the oldest city in the country, mm. um, and a lot of us will begrudgingly say the best, but. Uh, we're kind of underrepresented in our country. Dublin's kind of the uh, poster boy, and then everybody loves Cork and Limerick. But sure. everyone forgets about Little Waterford. So I was like, I'm going to make this show about Waterford people, and we're going to make sure you all know we're from Waterford.
0: <laughs> okay. So you've had, uh, you have two seasons out now. Is that correct? Yep. And I, you have a third one coming. Is that right?
2: Yeah. I am just finished. Um, Producing the third episode, um, that's all done. And happy days, and then tucked away in the back pocket. Um, I'm on to uh, editing episode four. There's going to be six episodes, so I'm nearly there. I've been at this now since August, so I'm very excited to try and get it done by Christmas, but. For me, the holiday will be writing season four. That's my holiday. Right. I, I don't intend <laughs> on stopping, especially because of COVID. Like the last time I released season two was this time last year. Um, and if it wasn't for COVID, I'd be on season four or five by now. Mm. So I'm very eager to get it out the door and get onto the next one and just start producing them.
0: What do you struggle with in
2: your creative process? I think it's the logistics. Mm. <laughs> right, and it's fine. I love that part. That part for me, which is, is easy because like I spend most of my time thinking about the show uh, if I go for a walk I'm thinking about the show a oh, new episode idea new concept new storyline new joke new piece of dialogue so I'm always thinking about it so I love that part that's my favorite part but for me it's probably logistics I'm very bad at, at people management mm-hmm. so I'll be trying to like organize people to go in and record and it'll take a while and it's not their fault. It's me trying to get, juggle everything at once. Be like, you can win this day, you can win this day, you can win this day. I've only got one microphone, so we're all going to have to share. <laughs> but um, right. I'd say that's probably the trickiest bit for me. Sometimes I think I, can, I, can, I could do better at directing. I do a lot of it at home. A lot of my voice actors are remote now, um, but the main cast are all, I record them in person um, in my house. Um, So they're kind of looking to me to, you know, direct them through the episode. And that's something I could do better at. One thing I've copped that I don't do and I should do because one of my voice actors sent me in basically sound effects of, of her reacting Or kind of just acting while the other characters are talking. Right. I should do And I kind of was like, I should do that because that adds another depth to it. And I don't do that. Do you know when like one character is talking to another? Sure. Right. You hear people have responses. um, Yes. Noises. Other characters. Right. Yeah. That's something I definitely should do more.
0: It is complicated. You know, you're right. Um, you know, this is why the shows that have big casts also have stage managers and sound engineers and right, just to make sure everything is done right. So it's a challenge, especially for us in the indie world where we're working out of our houses or what have you. How do you measure success?
2: Yeah, I I, I love to say that I don't look at the downloads every hour, but I do. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, I I think everyone them. does. I think everyone does. <laughs> I think if I like it, if I can listen to it when I'm doing the dishes, if it makes me feel happy, if the ending of an episode makes me feel like, oh, that was really cool. That was fun. If I can make my friends and my, my voice actors sound cool, that I think that's that's enough. I want everybody to be happy to listen to themselves on, my sh- on the show. I think that's my answer. It's very diplomatic. but I think that's my answer. <laughs> and downloads. And money. Yeah, and, lots and- of money. Only <laughs> joking, only joking, only joking. Uh how do you stay motivated? For me it's more it's like an obsession. Uh, it's not so much a motivation. Um I'm very, very one track minded. I always have been. I remember I got GTA Vice City when I was a kid and I got so obsessed to clear it hundred percent that I played <laughs> it for three hundred hours and I got to I got to ninety five and, and the, the save uh corrupted and that no. was it for me. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, so yeah, I tend to have kind of an obsessive personality about certain things, you know, it's either either this or go back to smoking. So I'm I'm going to focus on this and just, you know, I think that's my motivation is that I couldn't do anything else.
0: My initial thought would be that this is probably healthier than smoking, but then sometimes I think I'm not sure. (laughs) Sometimes it's not. Do you have any advice for people who want to create audio drama?
2: I'd say do your research first. Hmm. definitely do your research uh, I didn't and I paid, and it took me a long time well how so the show had no press kit there wasn't a lot of um, hubbub maybe be the good word for it I didn't put it out there
0: um,
2: hmm. I didn't advertise it that the show was coming I just sort of made it and then I put it out there and I said it's good enough so people will listen that's not how it, how it works right maybe network could be kind of it goes hand in hand with do research get out there network your show kind of put it up there like I see some shows now and they have such fantastic like pre-release practices techniques do you know what I mean like hmm. they they're already the, the finished article before the first episode drops right Um. they had they have their artwork up they have their their press release they have their their trailers they have this they have that they, it's just polished and then dropping the show and getting you know getting a good response is just a formality for me, it was just, just put it out there. I don't have a press kit. I don't have a trailer. There's no trailer. Just just go listen, please. Please listen to it. Um, and then if it wasn't for the fact that the show picked up on its own, like I, and I decided to just kind of go online and then, you know, I found the community, that might be the other thing maybe is to, is to just be aware that there's a community of people out there that are willing to help you. The audio drama community is, is wonderful. They're just full of it's just such amazing people.
0: Yeah, I agree. I did do a little pre-launch stuff for my own show for Book of Constellations, but it was only a couple of weeks. And I agree with you. I think I should have been doing more because it was hard for, to be a newcomer in a community. I think I'm lucky that the audio drama community is as welcoming as it is. And I got some support pretty quick. What's next for you?
2: I'm not sure. I, I'm going to continue going with the show uh, until I feel like it's kind of come to its natural conclusion. I definitely don't want to stop after the Green Horizon. I definitely want to keep going in this universe. But I definitely think whatever I do, I want to continue using Irish people or keeping Irish people involved in it. Who? What? Who are you?
1: My name is Sonia Halley. I'm applying for the role of first officer for your ship. Oh, yeah. OK, fair enough. Do you want it? W- what? The job. Go on. Don't you want to see my credentials? No, you're bra- But don't you need to interview anyone else? <laughs> there is no one else What about the other applicants? Ah, uh, they were all shit Do you want the job or not, love? I'm a busy man Busy talking into that thing Hey, now, that's my memoirs What if the ship blew me to bits? That recording is all that would be left You threw it and it smashed I doubt it would survive an antimatter explosion Fuck, you know your stuff You're hired I haven't Wait, wait, wait How did you get on board my ship? I am in orbit Your engineer brought me up from Hybrax in your scuttlebug Burner brought you He never told me he was heading into Ibrax. I would have asked him to grab me a bag of crush while he was local. Ah, yes. Your engineer mentioned you were a Coorsaline addict. In fact, he's listed it as one of the reasons that he was resigning. Now, I wouldn't say addict. What do
0: you mean, resigning?
1: He said he was leaving. Although I can't imagine why. This place is
0: wonderful. There's action and adventure in the green horizon. And exploration of deeper themes of class and race. But Walsh weaves witty banter and humor into the troubles this found family faces, so we know that they'll take on these challenges with heart. The Green Horizon is available on most major podcast platforms. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford the show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you'd like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.